Founding support for The Reading Life comes from Octavia Books. Additional support comes from the Hellas Foundation and the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Welcome to The Reading Life, your weekly look at the Louisiana literary scene. I'm Susan Larson. This week we'll be talking with Peggy Scott Laborde of WYES's arts program, Steppin' Out. She's the documentarian and author of many books about New Orleans, and I can't imagine anyone better to talk with for our 13th anniversary show. Peggy has created a new documentary, Literary New Orleans, which premieres November 30th. It is such a pleasure to welcome Peggy Scott Laborde to The Reading Life, especially for our 13th anniversary show. I can't think of anybody I'd rather celebrate with. Peggy is the host of that long-running arts and culture show on WYES, Steppin' Out, and she's also an acclaimed documentarian and author. She's written or covered such wide-ranging topics as Mardi Gras, New Orleans neighborhoods, our lost restaurants, the fairgrounds, Canal Street, and Christmas in New Orleans, to name only a few. Now she's back with a new documentary, Literary New Orleans, which premieres Thursday, November 30th at 7 on WYES Channel 12. Peggy Scott Laborde, welcome. Well, what an honor to be on your 13th show. I mean, that's right there. You're, You're th- lucky. It's incredible. <laughs> You're our 13th lucky annual show. That's really something, Susan. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, it's nothing compared to stepping out, I must say. Yeah. Now, it seems inevitable to me that you would do this documentary with all your ties to the literary community. I mean, you were one of the founders and a former president of the Tennessee Williams New Orleans Literary Festival. You've read as many New Orleans books as I've read, I think, and written many more. So so (laughs) talk about the genesis for this documentary. Well, you know, I think it was sort of in, in the meant to be category because over the years I would be... Buying books, what a concept, right? Uh, picking up books uh, that I thought, well, gee, this, you know, this would add to my knowledge. I'm just interested in it and all. And uh, I really think back, especially the last few years, about I think it was going to evolve to that. But I wouldn't say there was any kind of five-year plan, uh, right. just because, as you said, my interests being involved with the Tennessee Williams Festival, which we're so blessed to have, and and getting to know writers just from around the New Orleans area. You know, I, it, I think it was something that was going to happen, and I'm so glad that through WYS we're able to do it. Well, it's such a huge subject, so enlighten us a bit about your process. How do you <laughs> how do you squeeze it in? You know that thing minutes? about you don't want to watch sausage being made. <laughs> <laughs> or on Dewey, I guess we can localize it even more, right? Or, uh, but, or Boudin. But uh, yeah, <laughs> the process, that was, you know, to quote uh, wonderful uh, actress Becky Allen, it was hard, 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 <laughs> okay? <laughs> because, yeah, you know, it, it's an hour documentary. So that sounds like a long time, but you'd be amazed, really you know, not. you know, th- over 300 years of history in our most historic of cities. So yeah, it was difficult, like what stays, what goes, and you just just, you just, you know, you just say, well, this is the best I can do. Now, one of the things, though, that I did do 
is we purposely start off pretty much like the first 24 minutes with identifying, you know, what we would deem, and which I love when I was rereading your book, your book lover's guidebook, that you, you know, you, you agreed, what are the four most important novels, you know, or, or, or authors, I should say. And indeed, so the big focus for the first part of the show, because it's kind of in chapters, if you will, no pun intended, but, uh, you know, Tennessee Williams, Anne Rice, Walker Percy, and Thelma Slash, and John Kennedy Tool, because we got to give her a whole story. Yes. And that whole saga, because I'm very blessed, it really, uh, part of the focus on that is how it came to be after poor Mr. Tool committed suicide, the manuscript and how it got published as a book. What a saga. And um, you may think you know, you know, the details on that, but there's more because we have it from different perspectives. Kenneth Holditch, uh, uh, who was very uh, pivotal to this, Walter Isaacson, of course, Walker Percy, um, uh, the the different aspects of that and their views of what it took to have this happen. Fascinating. I've often thought somebody should write a book or do a documentary about that Walker Percy class at Loyola. Valerie Martin was in it, and I think you've shared yeah. with me that Tim Gotro was in it, you know, the noted so. uh, novelist. What a group coming together. I'd love to know how many people were in totally in the class, because sometimes those graduate-level classes are small, you know. Yeah. So what a crew. Yes, Kenneth himself and Walter Isaacson and Valerie, just to start with. Incredible. I know. It's amazing what's come out of that one class. And then to have that tie with the New Orleans Review, where the first excerpt of Confederacy of Dunces was published. Just getting a taste of that, I think once folks did get that taste, it was like, wow. But God bless Walker Percy. Because generous. Generous. And Susan, you know, you illuminated me (laughs) on how generous was he, Susan? (laughs) He was so generous that he did not win the Pulitzer Prize. Because? Because Confederacy of Dunces did. <laughs> and it was through him that that book got published. And you'll hear more details about that in our show. But that is an amazing saga. Oh, absolutely. But one of the things that enlivens it is that you have footage of Thelma Toole. An interview with Mrs. Toole. Oh, my. And, you know, I mean, I remember her. I remember meeting her and going to one of her presentations slash performances, right, we should say, because she played the piano. And uh, but, you know, what what better champion I mean, of her son? But she, you know, she, as you know, she taught elocution and yes. she was very dramatic. And so all of that. I remember when she was on, some folks might remember Tom Snyder and the Tomorrow Show, which was a network show. Oh, wow. She was actually on that show. And now, even as we're sitting here, they're considering landmark status for one of the Tool residences uptown. Oh, good news. So it just goes on and on and on, you know. But, but, you know, rest assured, we do very much go into Tennessee Williams. I have interviews with Tennessee Williams, thanks to WWL's Eric Paulson. You know, we talk about Truman Capote. You know, this in, in 2024, it will be the centennial of his birth. And I think maybe not as many people are aware of that, but we talk mm-hmm. about other voices, other rooms. And you know, when I think of New Orleans, I connect Tennessee uh, much more than Capote. But Capote spent some time here, too. And Capote left behind such a rich visual record. He was on every late night show. He loved to talk. He was one of the real, the black and white ball, you know, at the Plaza Hotel, right? He right. Was, <laughs> he was one of the writers who loved being a celebrity. 
He, cer- he certainly he certainly did. And was a good one, actually. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, it was a great joy because, I, yes, I did try to go, you know, span 300 years. Mm. Um, but I did focus on some of my faves. So, you know, you can't resist uh, Lafcadio O'Hearn, who folks need to know more about, I think. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the 20s, William Faulkner, The Double Dealer, uh, Sherwood Anderson and Other Famous Creoles, which was this book of uh, quips and sometimes not too kind but very artfully done drawings. I love those some drawings. Local, some local literary, um, sort of the intelligentsia of the day in the 20s. And this whole mystique of New Orleans being this literary mecca, we really go into that. And let me just say, backing up to Anne Rice, we have, thanks to the Tennessee Williams Festival because in 1989, Kenneth Holditch interviewed her and we recorded it. And so to hear her talk about the birth of Interview with the Vampire, you do not want to miss that. It's just a miracle that we have all this rich archival footage. And that you're my middle name. (laughs) (laughs) And you're there to know where it is and what it is. But the kindness of friends, let me tell you, because you can just imagine what a team effort this is. Something this is a pretty big show. But go back to the twenties for a minute. You know, I often think that if I could time travel any time in New Orleans literary history, that would be one time I'd want to go, wouldn't you? All the people. And, you know, something else, and it's it's so great to work on programs like this because you're always learning stuff. Yeah. And I had sort of forgotten. Maybe I knew. But, you know, you think of Robert Penn Warren for All the King's Men. But wait. <laughs> Band of <laughs> Angels, which is set during the Civil War, and it actually deals with slavery and, of course, the injustices. And, uh, and you know, Showboat, there's this wonderful character, Julie, who is, you know, passe blanc. Yes. And there's a bit of that in Band of Angels, and that storyline is so poignant, and it's so important, and the description of, you know, of those times. But that was a book that was eventually made into a movie by Robert Penn Warren. I just, for some reason, you know, I, I just was not as aware of that. Um, I, I will tell you, we interviewed many, many folks for this show, and I could rattle off the names, but among them would be uh, T.R. Johnson, who has an excellent book about, between your book and his book, Aww. talk about seminal resources. Uh, but he has an excellent book uh, on literary, the life of New Orleans, and he teaches that class at Tulane. And his but book he's, is The Writer's City. Yes, yes. And he's the Energizer Bunny, <laughs> you know, yeah. on that, uh, in addition to yourself. But um, uh, Doug Brinkley, we talk about the, uh, the 1950s and early 60s beat generation and Lou John Press, which was this incredible, you know, art press it was very those those little small magazines were very important because uh J- somebody named Jack Kerouac Allen Ginsberg you know they are offering their poems to be included in this teeny tiny magazine based out of New Orleans the outsider and then you know in on the road they're pulling into New Orleans which we mention, and Doug, you know, is, has of course devoted Doug Brinkley has devoted a lot of his life to Jack Kerouac and then, of course, on the West Bank, there's an important literary landmark associated with the B generation as well. That's right, and we're going to show you that too. Yes, um, of course, we're talking about William S. Burroughs' house, which was sort of a way station. I love that yeah. term that um, that Doug uses. But my goodness, some of these guys, though, between the booze and the pills, woof! It was amazing they could write anything somewhat that clearly. Made sense. <laughs> Especially Burroughs, when I understand. But Charles Bukowski, I mean, of course, he's in California, but his early books of poetry are published by Lujan Press. And they were beautiful, beautiful books. 
And, you know, people should seek them out in archives and libraries and look at them because they are treasures, I think. And the, H- the Historic New Orleans Collection has copies of The Outsider, which are pretty rare, and as well as, as that, too. And fun to read. You go back and you want to, you know, you want to read the whole thing. I wish someone would publish them in, as a complete book. There's a project for somebody. <laughs> but one of the things that that comes home to me, especially in the 20s and 30s, was the way writers were intertwined with the French Quarter and the salvation of the French Quarter, preservationist. and Absolutely. Um, you know, their life there now, you know, as you've pointed out to me, you know, about how rent was cheap. And that was very, very important to a writer, and especially in the 20s. But the whole idea that this group of articulate people and people who had, a, a, you know, an outlet for spreading the word— you know, bring on the message that the quarter matters. It's important. Yep. And so it needs to be saved. That's like, you know, one of the ancient stories is how, believe it or not, the cathedral was almost torn down. It was in such wreck and ruin. I mean, really important um, buildings were in peril. And um, folks like uh, Betty Worline's mom, Miss Elizabeth Worline, uh, mm-hmm. Betty Carter, uh, you know, Elizabeth Worline, she was one of the ardent preservations in Mary Morrison, and that she comes a little bit later. But this whole idea that this meant something to be in the quarter and, and to have a life in the quarter and that it was beautiful. And the way people responded to the end of the French Opera House. Yes, including Lyle Saxon, you know, and William Ratcliffe Irby, who had just paid money to renovate it. And, of course, he figures prominently in the Historic New Orleans collection and and, and now their history. But uh, Lyle Saxon... That's somebody. Character. That's somebody who could easily be there. You know, its own documentary. It is its own. His own. There's a book about him. Yeah. But his stories and how, you know, we talk about this term, Susan. You and I, generosity of spirit. And he was one of those people. Yes, of course, he loved being in the limelight. But also, he, um, like Sherwood Anderson, welcomed writers. Mm-hmm. And say, come here. We, you know, we can nurture each other. We, you know, we can help you. And especially the Works Progress Administration with that WPA guide. I mean, even today, you can I take know. the guide, which gratefully is still in print, and 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 follow the routes that are mentioned. And um, as uh, Dr. Mona Lisa Saloy points out, there's a lot of good black, incredible black history Isn't in there? it too, because of Marcus. Christian, the poet and writer who, um, based out of Dillard, had a team working with him. And his papers are here in the library, I think. Yes, because he taught here, thanks to Joe Logston. One other quick thing, back to to Logston, and yes, in UNO, here we are, and I'm a proud UNO alum, by the way. (laughs) Uh, But Joe Logston, I did not know until recently, and maybe I'm the only one, but he and a a professor, a Louisiana, I think, LSU professor named Sue Eakin, they were the ones who got the book who kind of reignited the interest in republication of 12 Years a Slave, the, oh, the Solomon right. Northrop book. And, you know, I, I knew Joe Lochner for many things, and, is, and, of course, reaching out into New Orleans culture. He wasn't just a history professor. He was so no, much more. No, he was. But 12 Years a Slave. Wow. Republished in 1968, I think, 69. And then you have a special segment in the documentary about Laysonelle, and that's something that I think we don't know enough about still. You know, absolutely. And, you know, the Jean de Couleur Creole of Color community, so many talented writers in that, in that group, and, you know, wanted to have their voices heard. And Laysonelle was this group, which means mayhaw. It's a kind of thornberry. Mm-hmm. 
And these poems are just so brilliant. The other thing is to remember that everybody's writing in French at that point. The literature is in French. It really isn't until like after the Civil War that a lot of these writers and, you know, the Les Anel folks, but but others too, of course, like Charles Guyeray and Adrian, Adrian Roquette, they had to turn to English. They had to because that was their audience by then. But still, the first book of poems by African Americans. Yes, and Victor Sejour, who writes, you know, what is considered among the earliest short stories, the mulatto. And was a playwright as well, Yes, right? and eventually moves to Paris, as a lot of, you know, of Creole of color gentlemen did, uh, who were in the arts. They moved to, to, to Paris. And we had poetry in the newspapers then. That always just stops me in my tracks, you know. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, isn't that... I know. It's amazing. Uh, Sejour loved Napoleon. He actually writes a, um, a, uh, a poem about Napoleon. A poem about who's, Napoleon. Who's hot again with the new movie coming. I know. Just, <laughs> we just have to wait a few weeks. Right. <laughs> If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Peggy Scott Laborde, whose new documentary is Literary New Orleans. So tell us about some of the other writers that you've talked to for this. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, uh, you know, Maurice Carlos Robbins. What a delight he is. Yes. I mean, <laughs> just, uh, you know, what a sweetheart talking talking to him, as we said. You know, Doug Brinkley. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, I have my list because Good. thankfully it, it is, it's pretty long. The whole concept of being able to sit down with them. Kalama Yassalam. There is a tribute to Tom Dent, the writer Tom Dent. Um, as I said, T.R. Walter Isaacson is very prominent in it. Ryan Fertel. Ryan's, um, I think it was his dissertation, either master's thesis or, or dissertation, and, you know, of course, he's a very talented writer and he's at Tulane, but was about the 19th century, cre- what was termed Creole writers. Mm-hmm. And so he really sheds light on that. Nancy Dixon from Dillard. Um, yeah, very much. And Edwin Blair, who was there at the time at the birth of Lou John Press and was a friend of the Webbs, who are very much the masterminds. So it, it's it's a nice overview, I think. Well, one of the great things about Nancy is that she is like a walking file cabinet of information. She sure is. And she did that marvelous anthology, N.O. Lit. Which is about three inches thick, by the way. And very heavy, but so worth it. So much work. Oh, yeah. No, I really admire that. (laughs) And that was the book she needed to teach. And let me tell you, that uh, certainly uh, was a resource in this program. Oh, it's a fabulous book. And she also edited the tricentennial volume for the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. So we have all these people who work so tirelessly to keep this heritage going. One thing uh, that I love that you especially point out, too, is we're so lucky to have great bookshops. We are. You know, I mean, between they Garden District, us, Octavia. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they do. <laughs> they do. Uh, I mean, we have many, and we're and so blessed. And, you know, newer to the scene would be Baldwin, you know, but you've got the community bookstore. I mean, the list is, the list is long. Uh, and, um, you know, Barnes & Noble's out there, too. And, uh, you know, it's just, but we really are blessed. Books matter, uh, Susan, as you well know. Here. Yeah. 
Yes. And we're lucky to have festivals. So talk a little bit about how they pop up in this documentary. Yes, they do. Well, of course, uh, you know, to quote you, the granddaddy of them all, I'm so proud uh, to say, and because of our mutual involvement, is the Tennessee Williams in New Orleans Literary well, Festival. Well, tell the origin you story. Know. Well, it all, it, um, there were a group of people, and it was you know, a lawyer, a teacher, someone involved, uh, Beverly Gianna with the Tourist Commission, uh, uh, and my husband, Errol. Aboard, uh, you know, it was quite a coming together. Uh, and and Don Marsha was asked to be there, and Don was at the head of Le Petit at the time. But it was a lunch uh, on a, um, Halloween day in 1986 at Mandina's, and some core people. I was not there, but the, some core people were there and said, "Let's do this." And it was kind of we don't have much money, and eventually um, um, G- George Hergert was involved, and mm-hmm. so was Julian Mutter, you know, and uh, George. De- the list, you know, the list is long, but coming together and not worrying about the fact that we didn't have much money, <laughs> but we did have the resources, thankfully, of Le Petit, because Don, when was when he was approached about this, it turns out they were doing Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. Couldn't and be so, better. And of course, you know, what better person to name the festival? And may I just point out, though, wearing my Tennessee Williams Festival hat here, though, it's not, the festival is not just Tennessee Williams. Of course, right. it's at the core. And there's a scholars conference on the side, too. But it's about just fine writing words, you know, the words. So it's not just about that. It's very local as well. But we have lots of national authors, too. And it's fun. It's and it, and it's not snooty. It does not pre. This is always very important. It doesn't presuppose that you read the book, you know. But people are not. They're not reading papers. I mean, the scholars conference, sure. But in terms of panels, you have to have a conversation. I, you're in a panel. You need to be ready to converse. It. I, I love. It is not snooty. And like Stanley and Stella, the shot. You know, our shouting contest. That's not snooty either. <laughs> well, the great thing is that it gives people a chance to walk right up to an author they admire. Yes, it's very and, accessible. And talk to them. That's, That's one true. of the things I love the most. And about we also it. like, you know, a little Sazeracs or mint juleps too on, on occasion. <laughs> there is the Carousel Bar at the hotel at the Montleon, <laughs> our base. Yes, indeed. Another literary landmark. Yes, the Montleon, and that actually very much figures into the show because it's true. Tennessee Williams um, and Truba Capote, but the list is long. Right. So talk a little bit about. You know, you know a lot of this stuff. You knew a lot of it going in. But what did you discover that surprised you? What what did you learn from doing this documentary this time? Well, about some of the earlier writers, I got to know them a little bit better, if you will. Mm-hmm. But um, is is you know uh, the Robert more about Robert Penn Warren. Also, I was very fortunate many many moons ago to be involved with the late great author Danella Hero, Danny Hero, oh. who came to me when I was at actually WLAE. This is a long time ago, and said, you know, it's the 50th anniversary of the Southern Review which is the great literary, nationally, internationally known literary magazine at, through LSU. And so the Louisiana Endowment for Humanities had a symposium in Baton Rouge based mm-hmm. on that. And so I got to learn more about the Southern Review, and we did a documentary. And in one day, thank you so much, dear Lord, I interviewed <laughs> Walker Percy, Eudora Welty, Cleonth Brooks, who maybe isn't as well-known, but very, very uh, much of scholar. Okay. And Robert Penn Warren. It was a great day. So I would also say, you say, you know, what prompts you ultimately to be interested in this? I think that seed is there, too. Well, what keeps you going about New Orleans? What is it about (laughs) New Orleans that inspires you so much? 
well, it's more it, than its home. It is your home and has been forever. Yes, and was born here, of course. My husband and I both. Um, well, it's you know, there's always something new, and and I'm I'm going to quote Susan Larson in this recent interview we did, in terms of like there's always something to look at, to see, and it and most of the time, thankfully, it's beautiful. Sometimes it's not so beautiful. Right. It's never dull here, and then the enlivening of putting together not only what you see, but what you hear clearly, mm-hmm. and then what you taste. <laughs> so this sensory festival of senses, if you will, I think uh, the combination of that too. Mm-hmm. But but ultimately for us right now, it goes back to the written word. And you never get tired of Mardi Gras. No. <laughs> <laughs> Those cultural festivals. Hmm. Yes, yes. And uh, Mardi Gras, February 13th. I already believe me, it's on my calendar. And it turns out it's my birthday. Oh my goodness. It's, and then the next year, it's March the 4th, and that's my husband Errol's birthday. So Meant to be. <laughs> I think it should be city holidays. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> think about this. We should get key to the city something. I'm yes. going to work on that. Uh, may I say that, uh, you know, if you want more details, um, uh, I can tell you that WYS.org for more information about um, the show. But eventually we'll be doing, we have a WYS, so forgive me for plugging this, but the WYS uh, YouTube channel. Right. More online content. So we will be utilizing, because... For something like this, we're talking about many hours of interviews, of course, and footage, which we can't all, you know, cram mm-hmm. into one hour. So we'll utilize some really good stuff um, and uh, online as well. So well, look for that after we finish the show. <laughs> there'll be a lot to look at, I think. We've been talking with Peggy Scott Laborde of WYAS. Be sure to catch the premiere of Literary New Orleans Thursday, November 30th at 7 on Channel 12. Peggy, thank you Susan, so much. Susan, it is really an honor to be on your very special show. <laughs> uh, you know, and thank you very much. Lucky 13, Peg. Yes. <laughs> Here's what's on tap in the literary life this week. Saturday, November 25th is Small Business Saturday, so make time to visit one of our independent bookstores while you're out doing holiday shopping. Most of them have special promotions and author visits planned. Visual artist Allison Janae Hamilton and writer Lauren Groff, author of Florida, appear in Florida Stories, A Conversation, Wednesday, November 29th at 6.30 at the Ogden Museum of Southern Art. Free, but advanced registration is required. Founding support for The Reading Life comes from Octavia Books, with major support from Rouse's Markets. Additional support comes from the Hellas Foundation, the Jefferson Parish Public Library, and the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in The Reading Life do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. The theme song for The Reading Life is by Matt Perrine and Sunflower City. The Reading Life is produced by George Ingmeyer and is a production of WWNO. You can listen to us anytime or subscribe to our podcast at WWNO.org. And you can email us at life at WWNO.org.